This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendoui. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Views on View. This week on our panel, we have Cher Stewart. Hi. Chris Fritz. Hi. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that is Ramsey Lanier. Ramsey, you want to say hello? Hello. I'm Ramsey. Now, uh, the show's pretty new, so obviously we haven't had you on yet. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm a front-end developer for a company called Novetta. Uh, we're based in Springfield, Virginia. It's right outside of D.C. Uh, and we do a bunch of data analytics stuff. So I spend most of my time uh, turning fancy data into cool visualizations and stuff. Nice. Now, we brought you on to talk about building a view plugin. Do you want to kind of uh, yes. give us a brief intro as to what that is yeah, and how I'm it gonna, works? Sure. I'm going to also uh, qualify the statement. Uh, I'm a recent view convert, uh, so I got my start uh, using React, and I still do some React development, but um, I switched over to Vue at work uh, maybe like four or five months ago. So I'm still still feeling it out, but um, yeah, I... Uh, I, some backstory, I uh, have this silly side project um, involving WordPress where I, uh, and GraphQL, um, it's called WordExpress, and I wanted to create a uh, kind of like a, a view-based theme for WordPress uh, that uses GraphQL um, right at the database level, so it kind of bypasses the uh, WordPress um, API and all that. Uh-huh. Uh, so what I needed with Vue was to create a uh, a plugin to do all sorts of some front end rendering type stuff. Uh, so one example would be, um, you know, WordPress uses short codes, and um, so their parser like reads a short code and then parses context in a certain way, wraps it in, you know, uh, certain tags stuff like that. So I wanted to create an easy way to do that in Vue, and so I created a Vue plugin to do that. Cool. So how do, how do you get started with that? I mean, I'm still pretty new to Vue, but yeah, yeah I may run into uh, a situation where it's like, you know what? Um, yeah, I want an easy way to do this thing in Vue. Right. So I guess uh, Google a lot of Googling and, and reading, uh, personally. <laughs> um, but uh, I use, for the GraphQL stuff, I use um, Apollo GraphQL, and then mm-hmm. they have a Vue. Uh, some, some very kind soul has a, uh, created view bindings for Apollo and they created a Apollo plugin that um, adds like dollar sign Apollo to um, the view components um, globally. And so I kind of looked at that and it's way more robust than my plugin, but I kind of used that as a, as a starting template. Um, So basically what I wanted was uh, I created a, a method called parse content and um, you can call it anywhere from inside of a view uh, instance or component. Um, and then you just pass it like a string of raw HTML, and it applies all these short code parsings to it. So um, it's it's like really simple. Super the pl- Actually making it a plugin was super simple. The, the hard lift was actually doing all the parsing, which is just in JavaScript. Um, so I, I took a look at the view documentation on creating a plugin, um, on writing a plugin. They have, uh, I've been really impressed with views documentation. I really, really think it's pretty robust. Um, and they have some really good examples on creating like global mix-ins, um, you know, and then, uh, so what I did is uh, I just added like a, a global instant method, instance method, um, on the view, uh, object itself. Yeah, so inside of a view component, you can literally just call parse content from anywhere, and you don't have to like import anything up from a library or anything like that. It's just attached to view itself. Cool. Yeah. So I have a question. Yeah, uh, sure. How did you know 
you needed a plugin for this job. Like what? Well, it's certainly achievable without a plugin. Um, but I knew that I'd have, uh, several different components that would be performing the same task. And, Mm um, also uh, I wanted to make the uh, development experience really customizable. So I provide, um, the users with some default, um, short code parsing. So when you actually, uh, so in view, you do uh, view.use and then you uh, give it the name of the actual plugin you want to use. So mm-hmm. you're probably familiar with, you know, view.use router or view router or view X view, whatever, um, for state management. It's the same exact thing. So uh, when you do view.use, you can pass it some parameters or some arguments and, you can pass in a, uh, an array of short codes for it to parse. And so I wanted the uh, user to be able to customize whatever short codes they wanted and then attach it to the view instance, um, which, and then they can use that in any component. So it seemed like it seemed after trying to do that uh, without using a plugin, um, it just seemed like I was writing a lot of extra boilerplate stuff. So I was like, let me mm-hmm. just throw this in a view plugin and see if it works. And luckily it did. <laughs> it like worked. I, I, I'll be honest. It worked like perfectly the first time. So I was like, this is surprisingly so it, awesome. So it sounds like it was uh, a relatively smooth learning path to creating a plugin. Uh, did you have to learn anything about like views internals or anything like that? No, about any like absolutely secret nothing. methods? I mean, or? No, absolutely nothing. I mean, their documentation is pretty cut and dry. I, uh, I looked at, um, I look, like, like I said, I looked at a few other plugin examples to see like what was possible. And, um, yeah, I mean, all in all, it took me maybe just a couple of hours to create it. Not even, probably not even, um, it probably took me more, more, I wrote a medium article about it, which I think is how you guys found out about it. And it probably took me longer to write the medium article than it did to actually make it. Forward. That is really impressive. Yeah. What, what was the most, uh, what was the most difficult part that, uh, of building it for you? Yeah, I, I mean, just just getting started, I, I suppose, with anything with anything that's new. Um, if you try to Google creating a plugin, um, creating a view plugin, uh, there's you know a lot of a lot of information out there. Um, but parsing through like what it is exactly that I wanted to do uh, took a little a little challenge because plugins can do like a variety of different things. You can add like a, a global method or property to view like a custom element. Um, you can also do what's called a mix-in, which is like what view router is. Um, and you can do a variety of different other things. And so I needed to figure out exactly like how I wanted to implement this functionality. So thinking about it, I guess was probably the hardest part. And you said for this one, you added, you used a mix-in, right? Uh, no, I just added an instant meth- instance method directly to uh, the view prototype. Got it. So, if you were to go to their plugins documentation, um, it's it's uh, they have like a, a bulleted list of five things you can do with plugins. It's, it's number four for anybody out there who's also looking at the documentation while they're listening to this. So, what's the structure of a plugin then? Does it depend on the type of functionality you're adding, or do you kind of yeah uh, handle everything? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, my my plugin is like literally just a one file. It's a one file plugin. In fact, I, I believe it's 15 lines of code, maybe, um, of, of actual implementing the plugin. And then there's a, the, the, a couple lines of code where you actually uh, use the, where you add the, the plugin to view itself. So it's really not a lot. And again, this is, all the all the hard work of this plugin was done, um, like as a separate as a separate npm package. So I'm just I wrote a package that does all this parsing, and I'm like, how do I make this parsing easy to use in view? So I just import, you know, the parsing, um, like the heavy lifting part, and I just am attaching it to view using a plugin. So it's like universally available. So it sounds like you can still use this separate npm package within a view application. Absolutely. But making it a plugin just adds some convenience, like makes it easier to reach for, like in yeah. applications where you're going to be reaching for it a lot. 
That's that's exactly right. I mean, in fact, I have uh, I have like a React uh, templating version for the same project, and I use the same npm package in React for parsing content. It's just implemented a slightly different way. And mm. honestly, I like I like the way view the the view plugin implementation is better than how it's implemented in React. It's just it's convenient. So when when other people are like including other libraries in their applications, like let the, let's say they're like whether it's a library they've written or not, like maybe they want to include uh, Lodash, a utility library, in their application. Mm-hmm. What kinds of questions would they ask themselves to figure out if they want to like create a like a Lodash view plugin or whether they just want to use Lodash directly, right? Or, or how they should use it. Yeah, well, obviously something like Lodash probably is you know, something that you can just import directly. Um, and again, I've only, I've only made this one plugin and it's like very simple. So there's definitely way more complex um, thought processes that go into doing something like this. Um, my, my use case was like, I just really wanted something that was convenient that a user could... Um, so... Uh, let me back up a little bit. So when you do view.use and then you Im- import this plugin, the plugin takes um, like a list of short codes and then uh, something called helpers, which is really not useful for this conversation. But the short codes is what can be expanded upon. And so it's an array. And so if you wanted to create your own custom short code parsing uh, functionality, like you want to... Uh, You've installed a WordPress plugin that does that adds a shortcode that is not a core shortcode in WordPress, and you now you need to be able to handle parsing it. Um, you can just extend it uh, before you use it in the before you actually uh, apply the plugin. So you only need to put it in one place, uh, and it it just adds a lot of like it, it makes the the app structure and the organization really easy. I've got like a plugin folder and then all the stuff that's related to the plugin is there. I don't have to create like a, a utility folder with a bunch of different files for each, you know, each different utility. Kind of just saves a lot of boilerplate. Exactly. Yeah. It just saves a lot of time and it's convenient. I mean, from a simple fact that like, I don't have to import the, I don't have to import a, a parsing, uh, the parsing library and each view component is just attached to the uh, to the view instance itself. Mm. Now, I don't know if that's a view as far as view best practices go. I don't I don't really know if there's like a a negative or like a con to doing it that way. I I really don't know. I didn't like notice any performance issues or anything doing it that way. Like attaching to the prototype. Correct. Yeah, th- th- there shouldn't really be any serious performance. Right. Yeah. I, that's the only thing. That's the only thing that I was like even possibly concerned about but yeah no i mean it just worked so does it pull the plugins because you use view.use to pull in the plugin does it use a specific kind of module loader that you have to build for or nope um well i'm not sure that i understand that the question um i think like what does what does view.use accept like what has to Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I actually don't, I don't know the official answer to that. Um, it, it basically like accepts a, so you have, there is a certain format to uh, like creating the plugin itself. Um, like a plugin needs to have like an install function um, so that when you are using it, it knows how to set the plugin itself up. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I mean, it, it really just accepts the plugin itself, which is like just an object. It's just a JavaScript object that has, a, a, I think at minimum, it needs an install method or function. Um, and then it can accept some, uh, an object that acts as parameters yeah, to your a- function. Yeah, it's similar to a component definition in the sense that it's just an object that like, has to have a certain shape. Yep, hmm. exactly. Exactly. And then, uh, yeah, and then, and then the install function is pretty much where you um, set all your, all your stuff up. So you can create like a, a custom directive if you wanted. 
um, a global uh, view method, an instance method. So um, I, I'll be I'll be honest. I don't know what. Uh, so there's instance methods, and then there's like a global method. Um, I should mention that mine's an instance method, so it's attached to the actual view prototype. So it's available like if you're inside of a component um, and you want to do something like. In fact, I think I'm using this on when the component is mounted. I'm doing like, you know, this dot uh, dollar sign parse content and then pass it and then give it what the HTML prop and then it just renders it. So that's that's what uh, an instance method is. I don't actually, I don't know how a global method would be used. So maybe you know, but. Um, hmm. I don't know if I could, ex I, I don't think I have a, like a good answer ready. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. if you check out, if you check out the view docs and you check out like the view docs on plugins and uh, also check out some other examples of plugins, especially Vuex and view router, which are especially complex. So you mm -hmm. can see exactly how they're integrating into view and they're mm -hmm. actually not doing anything too special that like other plugins couldn't do. And so if you want a really tight integration into view, like Vuex or ViewRouter offers, uh, that's, that's actually available to you. You can right. see exactly how they do it. Yeah, I mean, and, and like I mentioned, I, that's how I kind of, I kind of I took apart. Um, so I know that like Apollo, uh, the view Apollo uh, has like a, an Apollo binding to the view, the view prototype. And so, and, and I know I've used it before, like to read a custom GraphQL query or whatever. Um, and so I was like, well, you know, I think I can use that same functionality to do this parsing of content. Let me just go look and see how Apollo is doing it and kind of just copy the same type of structure. So it's, it's a much more simple plugin than that, but that's basically what I did. Yeah. So were there any other plugins that you, that you looked at to so kind of see, get a sense for the best practices or any yeah, plugins that you, you really liked? Uh, the, the, well, the only ones that I've ever actually used are View Router and then uh, View. I guess View X is technically a is considered a plugin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think those are pretty much the only ones that I've actually ever used, other other than the the uh, Apollo GraphQL one. So I looked at I looked at all three of those. Um, the uh, yeah, I guess I guess view router also binds the route and the um, and the router itself to the view prototype as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure I looked at that as as uh, for examples. When you were looking around uh, at different view plugins, was there anything that surprised you, uh, either in a good way or something where you're wondering, like, oh, wow, what's that? <laughs> I, is that what view is doing? <laughs> yeah, uh, not that I recall. I think mostly I was surprised at how I, I was expecting to like open the plugin and like really have to spend a lot of time trying to like figure out how things were done. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe I was I was mostly surprised about how how easy it was to understand like exactly how things were working. I think I think the way that the plugin structures are just made. And also the people writing these plugins are very good developers. So that probably has a lot to do with it. So props to those, props to the view router and, uh, and the Vuex development people because they definitely made it very easy to understand just so, by looking at the source code. I, I can confirm having met them, they are very smart people. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I've uh, d done a little bit of contribution, but not nearly as much as uh, some of the others. Nice. Yeah, the, the, the core maintainers do a, do a really great job. So let's say that I decide yeah. I want to build a, a plug-in. One other thing that I like to do is I like to have my code tested. Um, yep. So are there good mechanisms for that with plugins? Or does it just test like other code? Yeah, I, you could pretty much test it. Uh, see, I'm gonna get, this is where you're going to get me in trouble because I actually didn't write any tests for my plug-in. Um, <gasps> I know. I just admitted that to the world. I forget. Um, yeah. Well, you said it was only the plugin part was only fifteen lines, right? Yeah. What can go wrong? I mean, what could go wrong? What could go wrong in fifteen lines? Right. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't know how you would test it. I mean, the the 
the underlying parsing code has tests written for it. So right. there's like tests to make sure that the parsing works. Um, but that's at the NPM package level. So mm-hmm. uh, I actually didn't write any like integration test to see um, that it's actually working correctly. But now I'm going to have to go back and, and do that. I, so that might be a question for somebody else. Yeah, it is. It, it, you don't have to do anything too special to test a view plugin. Uh, and view offer or view test utils offer a utility called create local view that you also may find helpful in creating like local copies of the global view package that you can use to like add plugins and uh, you know test different ways of adding plugins or adding different mm-hmm. plugins in isolation okay. from each other. So that, oh, wow. that might be something that you find yeah. really, really helpful when you're writing that. I will definitely check that out. Yeah, I like that idea because, I mean, and, and that's another thing I guess to bring up is, um, you know, so so testing it on its own, but yeah, then testing it and seeing if it interacts with another plugin in a way that you don't want it to. Right. Yeah, that that tends to be that tends to be pretty rare. Uh, people would have to use you know the exact same like method mm-hmm. name or something like that attached right. to the prototype, uh, and that doesn't happen. Actually, I I don't think I've noticed a case where that's happened. I, although I'm sure it has happened somewhere where someone's just decided to add, uh, you know, something like state, <laughs> like a like a state property. Right. And then some other plugin has also added a state property, and then they've learned like, oh, maybe I should be a little bit more unique. Yeah, just put some namespacing or something around it. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. I'm really gonna have to. I really now. Now you've got my my gears turning, so I'm gonna have to check that out. That's cool. So, what else did you put in your medium article that we haven't talked about yet? I, you know, it's a pretty short article. I think it's pretty much so. The actual plugin itself does more than just parse content. So. It does things like uh, render embeds. So if you have like a, a YouTube embed, it will like do render embed. So I basically wrote like a bunch of of like help like JavaScript helper files that help with all sorts of content. And I just literally just uh, binded or bound bound. I guess is the correct mm-hmm. word to the view prototype of like five or six different functions. But as far as like the plugin itself goes, the code for adding all of them is exactly the same. I'm just, I pass in the helpers and the shortcodes, and then I'm just applying them to each um, instance method. So, uh, I mean, it's pretty much all covered in the Medium article, but now I need to write a follow-up for testing it. So, speaking of of testing and uh, the, the view docs, if I remember correctly, on our plugins page, uh, we don't have any information on testing plugins specifically. Is, that is, was that is the case correct. last time you checked? Yes. So, uh, and this doesn't have to be your answer, but I was wondering uh, where were the places that you think the the docs for the view plugins uh, could improve most? I could, testing seems to be one weak area. Yeah. Uh, is there another one? I like it. It's all Chris's um, fault. Yeah. <laughs> the, so, so like I, I will say, like the starting documentation for writing a plugin is pretty. Like, I think they, it, they do it. It's pretty well uh, described about like what a plugin can do. Um, I think I don't. I don't think I remember actually seeing any like um, official example plugin like repositories or anything like that. You know, I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically it felt to me like the easiest thing to do after reading the documentation would be to just go look at a plugin that everyone uses and kind of uh, reverse engineer it, I guess. I don't know if that's the right term, but um, yeah. So, uh, and and maybe it's just me personally, but I'm big on seeing like encode examples in documentation. And there there definitely are some in the view plugin documentation, but yeah. yeah, I mean, basically, it's like, yeah. okay, here's how you do a mix-in. Like, you can do a custom-created mix-in function. Yeah, at um, the end of that page, we do we do link to 
uh, oh, check out plugin section of the view awesome, the view awesome yeah, page. Okay. But yeah, I agree. It could be good to uh, pick a few examples to to show you know at the very least parts of you know how they're accomplishing various tasks. Yeah. Yeah, that would be good. I mean, maybe going in depth on each one of these uh, these five these five points, um, and and with like a, a a more robust example, like maybe I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I guess they do kind of link to each like example. Yeah, and actually, now that I look at it, they do link to example plugins that do each one of these these things. So that is pretty solid. And that's pretty good. Yeah, from your experience, would you say that there are any um, like anti patterns that either you've seen or, or you could imagine when developing view plugins? You know, things that people would want to avoid doing. I, I really don't do. have enough experience writing view plugins to to answer that uh, accurately. Um, okay. Again, the plugins that I was looking at, you know, View Router, are pretty much the best way to write a plugin I, from what I would imagine. So I'd certainly hope so at least. Yeah. I would, I would hope that they are using the best practices and not using anti-patterns. And from what, from the source that I looked at, it looked pretty, I mean, everything looked really good. So I I don't have enough experience authoring my own plugins to, to answer that. One that we touched on a little bit earlier is just not properly namespacing things that you want to add to components, you know, so that's, yeah, I guess there is. Yeah, so I'm like, yeah, you definitely have to namespace things properly because you don't want collisions between instance methods on plugins, right? So mm-hmm. that that definitely gets tricky, especially because you don't want to have like a super long instance method that's really annoying to use. And, and you also want to avoid conflicts with uh, what the users are defining in their own components. Right. So, for example, if you add something to the prototype that has the same name as a method that uh, a developer adds, right. then you could run into an issue. And, and one of the ways that we recommend plugin developers uh, namespace, at least plugin code, you know, to di- differentiate it from user code is to add a dollar sign in front of uh, instance properties and methods yep. uh, from a plugin. So that's exactly what I did. And I don't know where I got that from, um, I, I think I read that in the documentation maybe, but I know Apollo does dollar sign Apollo. So I was like, oh, we'll do that. That makes sense. So yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. It's, it's an anti-pattern that I, I don't really often see in the wild. So I, I think people are picking up on the message. Yeah. Cher, do you have experience writing plugins? I not view plugins. (laughs) The last plugin I wrote was for Ruby on Rails. uh, And I think it was uh, Ruby version 1.8. So that was a while ago. That was a while ago. (laughs) Does it still work? I would imagine not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the site that I had that was like housing the plugins that I wrote back then um, was on a very, very old stack on Heroku and they shut it down like a year ago. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't running prior to that because I hadn't updated anything. So I, I don't know if, it, if um, other people have more questions about plugins. I'm happy to defer to them, but I have some other questions if, if you don't mind. Go for it. Okay. So I, I don't want to get into like... Uh, React versus view thing, but, <laughs> but I was curious, um, you know, coming from, uh, coming from a framework where you're already using components, what would you say that view added to your experience? Like what made it worth learning something new? Um, well, first of all, I just like learning new stuff. Uh, so I, I always have that curiosity. Um, I was really interested in seeing how like single file components work in view, which uh, so far, has been a pretty nice experience. Um, it's funny though because as my I've actually started <laughs> going back to uh, like taking my components and putting them in their own directory, and then like having a a template file, a JavaScript file, and a styling file now. So I've kind mm-hmm. of like gone back to that old way. Um, but initially, the single file components uh, 
were a big draw to me. And then the one thing I really, really love about Vue is watchers. Um, and it, it's really, really, I use it all the time. So I, I do a lot of D3 visualizations. And so in React, you you have to do, a, a, I would do like a, in a, like a component did update callback. I'd have to like check to see if any of the props changed in that and then call something. Whereas in the view watcher, you can just say, okay, watch this state or props. And if that changes, then trigger it. It just is a lot it it seems like a lot more friendly to me um, than in React. I don't know if anyone has so it's, it or not. makes that a little bit easier. Moves a little bit of boilerplate that you either have to write, otherwise exactly. have to write. Or okay, right. So you'd have to. So in React, and I don't know if this is how other people do it, but this is how I think I I had been doing it. Um, is like in this component did update, I'd write like you know if statements or switch cases or whatever, being like if this. You know, if this, uh, you know, if the previous prop value does not equal this prop value or state value or whatever, then go and call a function to do stuff, to like animate something or whatever it is. Um, whereas, it, and you also get, you can also, that's a lot more error prone too, because you can get, you can get into issues with comparing like, uh, and uh, two objects with each other like they might not they might actually be the same but you know you have to account for that whereas with view you know with the watches you don't really have to uh to worry about any of that cool and you talked about doing data visualization with view and uh yep. share or chuck if i'm getting way too off topic but please feel free to reel me back in <laughs> no it's all good I'm, I'm enjoying the 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 conversation okay <laughs> yeah and i don't know if i have any more questions about plugins so yeah, it's interesting okay. to dig into these other topics. So in terms of integrating D3 with Vue, mm -hmm. uh, how has your experience been there? Like what, what parts of D3 do you use and what parts of Vue do you use? Like what, I, uh, how do they come together? Yeah, it, I tend to let D3 do most of the work um, uh, because D3 is very good at, at what it does. Um, the things that you use Vue for that I use Vue for is um, managing reactivity, data reactivity, um, and stuff like that to to trigger updates in D3 and then pipe the data into D3 to do all of its you know calculations and animations and stuff. Um, it's it's so anyone who's done D3 um, like outside of Vue, you you probably are like at least the way I do it, I'd go and look for like an example of a visualization that I want to do, like I want to use, because there's tons of great examples out there. And I'd be like, okay, so you look at the example and it's all written in kind of just like vanilla JavaScript and you're like, all right, well, let me see how I can, you know, re-implement this in Vue. And for the most part, it's pretty much like a, a direct translation. Um, I mean, there's there's definitely some things you have to to account for, like making sure reactivity is triggering re-renders properly and, and all the stuff that you would normally have to worry about in Vue. But um, so far, it's been really good. In fact, I think I actually wrote another Medium article about uh, tracking the average color of a video and plotting it on a timeline. So if you're interested in that, you should read that Medium article. Hmm, that that sounds, um, mm -hmm. sounds cool. Maybe we can link to somewhere. Um, yeah, just, we do have show notes. Do we have that technology? Yeah, just put it in the chat and we'll get it in there. Yeah. So yeah, and that that uh, I wrote a pretty in depth tutorial about that one, and uh, I provided like a you know, there's a repo that you can clone and play around with it. So um, that was it was something that I had done for work. We were plotting the the average movement of an object in a video, and I was like, well, I could probably apply this to like the average color and plot the R G and B as it like goes across. And uh, it was surprisingly very easy. Now, I, I do uh, a fair amount of data visualization too. And uh, when, I, when I combine D3 and Vue, I actually usually only like to use the utilities from D3 oh, really? and not the rendering layer because uh, like, I, I really don't like trash talking libraries, but D3 has one of the worst rendering models that I've ever seen. Like, it's just so not intuitive to people. 
Yeah. Like it took so I've been long doing for, it for a while, their, so their mind around it. Yeah. I've been using it for a while. So that makes sense to me. So like you're, um, so you're like creating components for like, uh, like each axis is its own component and like a brush would be its own component or something like that in, in view. It doesn't necessarily have to be its own component, but, uh, view will do all of the rendering and then we'll just use like D3 interpolations and things oh, like that right. to control, um, you know, like, uh, sometimes, sometimes things like transition transitions, but even that, uh, you often don't need D3 for, right. um, but, but things just like how long, like a bar should be in a bar chart, you know, relative to the other bars, mm-hmm. what you're saying. you know, using, using the domains and stuff like that. Uh, and also for drawing paths and things like, uh, you know, different things with SVGs or other vector graphics can be very useful. Right. Yeah. I guess I'm just so like I've been doing D3 outside of view for a while. It just it seemed like the easiest way. I, I, that is but, that is how I was doing it for a long time. I, I might I'm going to drop uh, some other fiddles into a chat. Uh, actually, I think I have a tweet where I I, I demonstrate those two uh, like ways of building a visualization side by side. And I might turn you into a convert. I'm going to yeah, try. I would, I would, I would, <laughs> drop that into the show notes. I would definitely, I like converting from things, clearly. So, <laughs> But yeah, D3's utilities really are fantastic. And I really like that with D3 version 4. They've, they've split them right. out so that you can use like just the utilities if you want to much more easily. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, D3 is it's definitely like the industry leader in and all of all data visualization stuff so any other questions i'll take that as a no let's do some picks do you run your own freelance business or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side well then you need fresh books fresh books is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients it's easy to use it works anywhere available from any device uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Chris, do you want to start us off with picks? I'd be happy to. And I am once again prepared. Oh, wow. Okay, so uh, I've been talking about sci-fi lately. I'm going to talk about sci-fi again. Uh, if you've never read Stories of Your Life and Others by Ted Chiang, uh, Ted Chiang, by the way, if you've never heard of him, is one of the best like short story sci-fi authors, uh, or really like speculative fiction authors um, that exists. Uh, I think he's written something like 16 or 17 stories and won something like three Hugos from that. Wow. Like that's, oh, wow. that's his body of work. And this includes some of his best stories. Once again, it's called Stories of Your Life and Others. And it is just mind-blowing like, story after mind-blowing story. Uh, it's so good. Uh, the, only, the only caveat I'll give is that the only story I didn't like was the first one. Uh, which So if you, if you don't like the first story push past it. Uh, for me, it wasn't as interesting. I know a lot of other people really like it, but if you don't like the first story, push past it because there is a lot of really interesting stuff after that. In fact, you can just skip it if you want. And it's also, if you uh, are in the United States and uh, have a library card, if you sign up for Hoopla, you can listen to it for free. Uh, you can get the audiobook for free. So I have a question about that because I use Overdrive for... For that is, do you, are you familiar with what Overdrive is? Yeah, I use Overdrive too. It's not okay. on Overdrive though. I, uh, last I so checked. I gotta, okay, so it's like the same thing as Overdrive, just different, 
It's a little bit different. Uh, Hoopla, you can check out up to, uh, I think it's 12 things oh, per okay. month. So that those you know books or audio books uh, or even like uh, TV shows and movies and things like that. Uh, but with, with Overdrive, there's, you know, it's more like going to the library where there's a wait list. Like mm-hmm. they only have so many digital copies yes. of a certain book. And so even when you're, even when you're renting it, um, digitally, you still have to wait for a while sometimes, and you don't have to wait with, uh, with Hoopla, but they, they have different kinds of books. So I still think it's worth using both. And also another pick, uh, I talked about a few games before. I'm going to talk about a colony simulator called RimWorld, uh, to over, to oversimplify it a little bit. It's sort of like the Sims in Civilization had a baby in a Firefly-like world, if you're familiar oh, with the man. show Firefly. I'm already sold. Uh, yeah, sounds uh, great. Small, small warning, though. Uh, I, played really this o- I think ago. you're overselling this one. <laughs> no, it was so good. Well, uh, I, I played this a few months ago. And if you have a little bit of an obsessive personality like me and you want to build like the best colony ever, uh, then you, you might get... Um, "Quote unquote sick for a few days and won't be able to work. <laughs> uh, so, so maybe save it for a weekend or save it even better for a vacation. Uh, I wish I had done that because I was definitely less productive those few days. Um, gotcha. So that's that's RimWorld, and then I also want to say by the time that this is released, uh, Sarah and I will have completely reorganized and rewritten the component docs. And actually, we've already done that, but it'll it'll actually be published." I just have a few more tweaks I want to do. Uh, and it's now split up into components basics, which is part of the essentials, and other pages, uh, other pages in the components in-depth section, which is a new section. And we've also improved and added a lot of examples and explanations. We've worked very, very hard on it. Hope you'll like it a lot. We think it's a huge improvement over the massive components page that was there before. We go into more detail, but still make it a little bit more manageable to grok. And then one final quick, uh, one final pick, I mean, cool stuff. So last week I talked about View Vixens. This week I'm talking about Vim Vixen, uh, which is a Firefox add-on, and also Vimium, which is a Chrome extension. And these are really great for controlling your browser with a keyboard, in case you're lazy like me, or just like uh, you just enjoy doing things with the keyboard because it's fun or something, yeah. So I don't know if you know this, but once you become a software engineer, you no longer have to refer to yourself as lazy. Now you're efficient. Oh, I'm efficient. <laughs> you know, the thing is, though, I don't know if it actually makes me more efficient. Like, I also I also use Colomac for my keyboard layout instead of QWERTY, oh, or geez. even Dvorak. Uh, and I, like, the my typing speed, I think, is 5% faster than it was. That is that is so arguably arguably not worth it, um, but I still enjoy it. <laughs> Do you have like one of those plank keyboards too, like just a minimalist keyboard? No, no. You see, I, I'm lazy, but I'm also cheap. Okay. So I, I I don't buy new things that make me more productive. Gotcha. <laughs> frugal, efficient, and frugal. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just here trying to take as few resources as possible. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nice. Cher, what are your picks? I have two picks for you today. Um, so my first one is a view code pen that I found on Twitter. Um, it's by somebody named Melissa M. And I will link it. Um, she's Meowls. And it's really cool. It's a CSS drawn virtual hair salon using Vue.js. And it's just really, really adorable. And I like that it's on CodePen instead of just, you know, being a look at this cool thing I made so that other people can explore and learn how um, to use things in maybe a similar way. So I will link that. That's amazing. It's, it's really, really cool. I just linked it. You should click it. It's very cool. I'm and my click. second thing is not code related, um, but it's a show that I watched last weekend on Amazon Prime called Sneaky Pete. And it was really, really good. And it was one of those shows where like, when you get to the the last episode of the seasons that are available, you're upset. 
<laughs> you know, you're like, why is this over? Like, I, I need, I need more. Wait, so, did you yeah. just finish the second season? Yeah, I watched both seasons. Because you just, you literally just stole my pick. Because I was going to be no! <laughs> sniped. So rude. Should there also be a warning label attached with that? Will it, like, will I have to binge it when I watch it? Probably. You'll probably want to. Okay. It's really good. At, after the act, it's got. I mean, I just like Giovanni Rubisi. He's. A, I do too. He's a good actor. He's a very good actor, and um, and Margot Martindale. And and Brent. I mean, everybody in there is fantastic. It's fantastically well acted. It's really well written. Um, the camera work is spot on, and there was a, a few times where the show almost tricked me. Like I thought that something was happening. And then I talked myself out of it because I was like, that's too obvious because they made me feel like I was like leading myself astray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, like, I mean, they're right or wrong, whatever. So when, whenever a show can mislead me, like not to be like arrogant, like, oh, I'm so smart. I figure everything out. But you know. But you like, are a genius, technically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, technically, yes. If we go back. <laughs> sure. Um, but that... A lot of TV shows, I feel like they follow this like archetype, right? So it's once you watch enough of them, you can recognize the patterns. And so when a show like kind of veers out of it, it can trip you up. And and that to me makes it really engaging because like now I'm more like invested in the show instead of like watching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pulling a sneaky Pete on you. Yeah. It's also it's also like executively produced by Brian Cranston, so right who who stars in the first who's also in the first season, um, so it's real good. If you so is this kind of similar to Breaking Bad? Uh, I mean, Not it's really. Got okay. crime. Yeah, got crime. <laughs> it's basically like it's yeah. He's basically like a con man, and it's all about him grifting this family. It's pretty good. Excellent. I'm a huge fan of crime. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Love crime. You'll like it. (laughs) Huge fan of breaking the law. There you go. (laughs) All right. Um, I'm going to do some picks here. Uh, The first one is, is I have a pair of headphones that I tend to wear around when I'm working on stuff. Um, And it's not the ones that are hooked up to my system that I'm using right now as I'm recording. Um, They're the Bose SoundLink headphones. And, um, They're really, really comfortable. They're Bluetooth, so I don't have that uh, annoying cord getting in my way. And, uh, yeah, they sound terrific. So I'm going to pick those. And uh, Do they have noise cancellation as well, like that little switch? These ones don't. Um, I have have some other Bose headphones that are noise canceling, but they are not Bluetooth. So, okay. But, yeah. Probably takes up a lot of the battery anyway. Probably. But I really like them. The battery lasts quite a long time, too. So usually when I'm traveling, I'll put these on because they're pretty comfortable. So anyway, those are my picks. Um, Ramsey, what are your picks? All right. Uh, well, Sneaky P got stolen. Um, so I'll, I guess I'll do a couple of podcasts that I listened to recently. Um, I listened to a ton of podcasts. Uh, and I, I like true crime stuff. So um, I recommend uh, Atlanta Monster is really good. Um, it's from the, it's from the people who do, uh, house, the house stuff works. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about, uh, these serial killings in Atlanta, uh, that took place in the eighties, seventies, eighties. Um, it's like a 10 part, it's a 10 parter. So, um, and they're all, all 10 episodes are out. So you can, you can crush them real quick. Also, uh, Vox's new podcast today explained is really, really good. Um, and they come out with, uh, yeah, it's like a 20 minute episode almost every day during the week. Um, and it's usually, usually politically related, but, uh, today explained is really good. Um, yeah, Amazon, I'll be honest, Amazon, uh, originals just to me, they destroy Netflix originals recently. Um, when I first saw their, their prime, their, uh, what do they call them? Their, uh, pilot season. The way they do the pilot season is just genius. They just have a bunch of pilots. They have people vote on them, and then they just make the most popular ones. Um, so, uh, Sticky Pete's really good. Uh, Electric Dreams is really good if you like a slightly less depressing Black Mirror. Um, Electric <laughs> Dreams is really good. I'm a Black big Mirror Philip K. Dick so fan depressing. too, so it's kind of 
it's kind of based very loosely on Philip K. Dick stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, lastly, I've been playing way too. I've been saying way too late recently playing Sea of Thieves on Xbox. Um, it's a pirate sailing thing, um, but you basically get to sail around in a pirate ship and sh- and shoot cannons. It's really very much fun. It's the dream. It's the dream. Yep. I, I will piggyback on the electric dreams. I will say if if you find Black Mirror too depressing, I will say just watch the one episode, San Junipero. Oh yeah. I think sure. that's what that's it's definitely called, the best one. It's not depressing. No. And it's the best episode. It's, it's so fantastic. Yeah. And it's the only like not super depressing episode. I think <laughs> Yeah. I, I feel like most of their episodes are going like, oh, let's see how like we can just like show how we can have terrible people, like yeah. people just being terrible to each other next to technology. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cool. a lot of it or like, I what nothing if, to do with technology. People are just being terrible. Right. Or like, what if all of our kitchens and appliances revolted and our blenders turned against us or just ridiculous technology stuff? Well, that could happen. Uh, That's not ridiculous. I've been, I'm keeping an eye on my toaster oven. Stop yeah. the blenders. All right, well. Vitamixes. Yeah. Anyway, Ramsey, if, if people want to see what you're working on, it sounds like you have a medium. Are you also on Twitter and GitHub? How, how do we find all that stuff? Uh, Twitter's the best. Uh, my handle is R-M-M-M-S-Y. So it's three M's, S-Y. Uh, yeah, I have a link to my, I think I have a link to my personal site, which links to GitHub. I'm Ramsey Lanier at, for GitHub. Ramsey nice. with an A, R-A-M-S-A-Y, Lanier. Yep. End of the show, I find out I said his name wrong. Dude, don't feel bad. I wasn't going to uh, say anything. <laughs> at, my, at my college, college graduation, uh, my name was pronounced Ramsey Lunier. Like, just completely butchered it. I even wrote it phonetically on a card and butchered. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm used to it. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Thanks for coming, Ramsey. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. We will catch everybody next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.